Thank you for joining us today. Many Christians today have accepted Bible teaching through the media to be as relevant as assembling together in the house of God. The Bible commands Christians to regularly assemble together because we, the people, are the church. The media serves a great purpose for those who are temporarily or permanently unable to assemble due to various life challenges. But there is no excuse for those of us who are able. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Listen in with Bible, pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander teaches us today. Because you see fellowship koinonia all over this passage. Look what it says, starting with verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You need to underline that. Underline that. I'm going to show you fellowship all over this text. And fellowship. There it is. Underline that. To the breaking of bread. They broke bread together. Underline that. Fellowship. And to prayer. They prayed together in the unity of the spirit. Underline that. Fellowship. Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all the believers were together. Fellowship. And that's what Satan doesn't want. He doesn't want us together. He doesn't want us to assemble ourselves together. He doesn't want us to do anything together. He just wants us to fuss, fight, and he wants to divide and conquer so we'll be useless in society. And all the believers were together. That's fellowship. Underline that. And had all things in common. That's fellowship. Underline it. Verse 45. And they would sell their property and possessions and, look, share them with all. Fellowshipping with sharing of their possessions. Fellowship. To the extent that anyone had need. Verse 46. Day by day continuing with one mind in the temple And look, breaking bread from house to house, that's fellowship. House to house, fellowship. They they, they weren't having Mary Kay sales, Avon sales, uh, whatever you got there. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Meals together, fellowship. Verse 46, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, underline this, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Folk were getting saved because they were meeting the criteria of fellowship. And when you're doing, if you're having this kind of fellowship, let me tell you something. Folk get saved. Folk get converted. Folk get revived. Folk get delivered. Miracles, signs, and wonders happen when there's genuine koinonia and fellowship. This passage gives us a beautiful picture of fellowship demonstrated by the believing community at Jerusalem. Beloved, there can be no fellowship in the Lord's church until believers in Christ are united together in love, united together in faith, united together encouraging as one in spirit and purpose. A divided, fragmented church cannot affect our nation and world for righteousness. I'll repeat it. A divided, fragmented church cannot affect our nation and world for righteousness. Satan wants the church divided. He wants us to fight over stuff. He wants us to be at each other's throat. He wants us to fight over power and position. 
He wants us to be fighting over any little thing to keep us from doing the work of the ministry to which God has called us. Jesus himself placed a high value on unity as he prayed to the Father that the church would be one as he and the Father are what? One. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Jesus prayed that we be one. Satan will do anything to divide and fragment the church. Jesus himself prayed that the church would function in oneness. Look at the scripture. As you, Father, and as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Who's us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus here prays for the church. When Jesus prayed, the church wasn't even born yet. But when he was praying here, he had you and he had me on his mind. The early church had all the necessary qualities for genuine fellowship. The church today must possess the same attributes. We must possess unity. We must possess sacrificial love. We must possess sound biblical teaching. The church must possess prayer. We must possess evangelism. We must have uh, genuine worship. We must celebrate the Lord's Supper as we have done. We must baptize new converts as we've done this morning. We must execute church discipline to saints who have gone wayward. Uh, We must have compassion for those in need and genuine fellowship. This causes the Holy Spirit to freely move in the church, which empowers her to do the work of the ministry to the glory of God. When we operate in genuine fellowship, you know what it does? It attracts the presence of God amidst his people. God moves freely when the church is functioning as God designed according to his authoritative word, which results in many souls being saved and being added to the church. Now, if the church is not functioning in oneness, no wonder people aren't coming to Christ. No wonder we don't see a move of God in revival. Beloved, do not expect the Lord to send a harvest of souls to the church while not adhering to biblical principles and qualities laid out in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It is absolutely inexcusable for believers to think they can please and glorify God while being negligent with regularly assembling themselves together corporately for worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. All members of the universal church which is the body of Christ, must be actively involved in a local assembly unless extenuating circumstances do not permit them to do so. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says, and let's consider how to encourage one another to love and good works, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's look at passage breakdown. Passage breakdown. Verses 1 through 4 is the necessity of experiencing Christ for fellowship. The necessity for experiencing Christ for fellowship. 
uh, verses 5 through 7 is the condition for fellowship, and verses 8 through 10 is the preservation of fellowship. You say, please say it again. I'm writing. I will. Passage breakdown, verses 1 through 4, the necessity of experiencing Christ for fellowship. Verses 5 through 7, the condition for fellowship. And verses 8 through 10, the preservation of fellowship. In chapter 1, the author, who is the Apostle John, does not give his name or title. There is no greeting or salutation, which you will find in many other New Testament epistles. What John has to say is so important that he gets right to the point without greetings and salutations. Let's look at verses 1 through 4, the necessity of experiencing Christ for fellowship. The necessity of experiencing Christ uh, for fellowship, verses 1 through 4. It says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched, looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. From the beginning. Look at those words. Look at the first three words there. From the beginning. Here refers to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The beginning when God came into this world, became flesh and blood, his incarnation. Jesus, who existed in eternity past, was born in the fullness of time into a world and became flesh and blood. He was a real physical man and yet fully God. He came so that people could experience God in a very personal way. John was an eyewitness of the Lord's life. John was a witness of the Lord's death, his burial, as well as his resurrection, which affirms the physical reality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John refutes false teachings, which denied the true nature of Jesus Christ being God and man, like the Gnostics was propagating. By focusing on a strong, positive reality of Jesus' humanity, Jesus was God in human flesh. The beloved Apostle John, in his old age, testified to the physical reality of Christ, which was permanently etched in his memory. John gazed at Jesus. He heard Jesus. He gazed upon Jesus and handled Jesus. Beloved, Jesus is the word of life. Uh, Right there in verse 1, you see the verbs heard. Look at that. You see, you see the verb seen, you see the verb looked at and touched, defends the human nature of Christ, all of which defends the human nature of Christ. If Jesus was not human, John and the disciples could not touch him or look at him. Spiritual life begins with spiritual birth which is to believe Jesus was God in human flesh. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. For three years, the the 12 disciples and thousands of others in Jesus' day heard him teach and preach the gospel with authority for three years. They saw Jesus do miracles such as healing sick. Jesus healed diseases speaking peace to the wind and the storm and raising the dead. They watched Jesus cry and they saw him die. Surely Jesus was God in human flesh. He talked to the multitudes. He ate with his disciples. He slept in the stern of the ship on a pillar, all of which validated his humanity. 
The disciples looked upon Christ, which means they gazed intently at him to understand and grasp the eternal truths taught by God in human flesh. While skeptics were doubting the humanity of Jesus, it fueled the fire for John to boast of his personal experience with the Lord. However, our faith is greater than that of John and Thomas and the rest of the disciples who were with Jesus because John 20, 29 says, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. You know who that is? That's us. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ, yet we have not seen him with our eyes, but one day we shall behold him. Why don't you say amen? Amen. Our relationship with Christ is just as real as the Apostle John, even though we have not seen or touched him physically. We have not had the privilege of seeing Christ with our own eyes, nor handle him with our hands. We have never been transported like John to heaven to see the sights and hear the sounds too numerous to bear. We haven't seen Jesus sitting on a high and majestic throne in glory, but our experiences with the Lord today is just as real as the beloved apostle John in yesteryear. I like that old song that says, real, real, Jesus is real to me. Oh yes, he gives me victory. So many people are doubting him, but I can't live without him. That is why I love him so, because he's so real to me. All the demons in hell can't make me doubt the validity of the fact that Jesus is real. He is God in flesh, and there is absolutely none like him. The relationship that John had with Jesus on earth will be even sweeter in heaven as he is now. John is right now unhindered by the troubles and cares of this world because he's in heaven with the Lord. And this will be said of us as well when we get to heaven. All the cares, the worries, the anxieties, the blood pressure, all the politics, the media, all this stuff will be passed away. Unemployment, immigration, everything you can, trauma and viruses, all will be passed away. That ought to make you homesick, beloved. When John says in 1 John 1, 1b, What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, John, along with the rest of the disciples and all who beheld Christ, actually saw prophecy fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ became the living word. He became the living word among lost sinful humanity. Matthew 1, 23 says, Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus, who is the incarnate, literally dwelt among lost humanity and is the very embodiment of life and inherent in his words is eternal life. John 5, 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Then 1 John 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. 
What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John, through repetition of the same terms, reemphasizes the authority of his own personal experiences as an eyewitness of the life of Christ. Fellowship is to have a relationship with God the Father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, fellowship is to have a relationship with God the Father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. John writes not only to affirm the physical reality of Jesus, but to give assurance of salvation to readers of his epistle. The virgin birth was not the beginning of Christ. Christ did not begin to exist at the virgin birth. He pre-existed with God the Father in eternity past. In the fullness of time, our Lord was born of a virgin to reveal God to fallen humanity, but that was not the beginning of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has no beginning. And here, my friend, Jesus is the perfect image of God. To look at Jesus is to look at God. Jesus is the perfect image of God, the perfect expression of God, the perfect representation of God, the perfect revelation of God the Father. John 10, 30 says, I am the Father of one. John 14, 9, B also said, Jesus said to him, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. He said, when you're looking at me, you're looking at God the Father. Beloved, you cannot call God Father unless you have a personal, authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. You can't call God Father unless you have a genuine, authentic, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, being in Christ give us the right to be called children of God. Being in Christ gives us the right to be called what? Children of God. We must take comfort in being identified with the labels. Listen to this now. We must not take comfort in being identified with the labels of this world system. Some folk get, oh, I'm just carried away with these things. All of the things in this world system will pass away. And some of you love your titles in, in worldly label, uh, such as celebrity. Let me have a picture. Uh, saying, I'm upper middle class, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm whatever. No, you don't take comfort in class. You don't take comfort in your party, political party affiliation. It's a dangerous thing when politics enters to the church and you're, you're more comfortable with your party affiliation than being excited about being in Christ and being a child of the living God. Look, y'all can barely say amen. Don't choke. I mean, you don't take comfort in your organizations such as fraternities and sororities and college affiliations and masonry and Knights of Columbus and motorcycle clubs and gangs affiliation. Ha! God is not going to rapture any of that. He said, I'm not going to rapture a motorcycle club. I'm not going to rapture the Delta or Alpha or Omega Sapphire, whatever you are. I'm not rapturing y'all. I'm going to rapture. I'm not going to even rapture the White House. I'm not going to rapture the Capitol. I'm not going to rapture 
the Taj Mahal. I'm not going to rapture the city hall. I'm going to rapture my church. Nothing becomes before the church. The church is supernatural in origin. Everything else is man-made. The church is God-made. Don't take comfort in gang affiliations. Don't take comfort in racial identity groups. Look at don't take, don't even take comfort in promoting your favorite sport team. I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. Well, where are your Cowboys now? I'm just, I'm not picking on Cowboys. Maybe it's the Oakland Raiders. That might be worse. I don't know. You know, you know well, you know, oh, I'm a this fan. I'm a Spurs fan. I'm a this. You got all this stuff over you. You got the Cowboys over here and you got the Jets over here. You got the Miami Dolphins over here, and you got you got little thing everywhere. But but where's your Jesus? I love Jesus T-shirt. When is the last time you wore a Christian T-shirt? When is the last time I wore my T-shirt? And H-E-B, they said, "Oh man, I like that shirt." I almost said, "Well, why are you not wearing one?" I, I don't even see any t- Christian T-shirts. What y'all scared? You don't want to be identified. You identify with everything else. Huh? You love to be called this and that, that. But who's excited about the marvelous truth that I am a child of God? I'm a child of God. We ought to rejoice in being children of God. We ought to rejoice in being Christ's friend. We ought to rejoice that we are fellow workers with God. We ought to rejoice that we are God's workmanship. We ought to rejoice that we are the salt of the earth. We ought to rejoice that we are the light of the world. We ought to rejoice that we are saints. We ought to rejoice that we are the redeemed. We ought to rejoice that we are citizens of heaven. Oh, I'm getting happy on this one. Luke 10 Chapter, chapter 10, verse 20b says, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. If your name is recorded in heaven, you ought to rejoice that your name is written. That's worth shouting right there. That God knows you and you know him and you his child and your name is written in heaven. That means you own your way because your name is up there. Your name is up there. Beloved, as I close, whose child are you? Whose child are you? Are you a child of Satan? Or are you a child of the Lord Jesus Christ? Be it known to you today that you are somebody's child. A child of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're a child of the devil. That's it. Don't put, don't put nothing else in it. That's it. That's it. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either saved or you're lost. You either know Christ or you don't. You're either sheep or you're a goat. You're either heaven bound or hell bound. Once born, hell bound. Twice born, heaven bound. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be 
born again. I'm bound for the promised land because I'm a saint and not an ain't. I'm a child of the king and I can't wait to see him look upon his face. Bow down before him and thank him for his grace. Get happy. And I'm not going to just walk around heaven all day and strum a harp and be bored. I'm going to say, God put me to work up here. I'm going to be joint ass with you, rule and reign with you, and receive the rewards you have for me. I can't wait to get to hell. Even so, come right now, Jesus. Maranatha! Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Somebody say, ooh, I'm scared. You know why you're scared? Because you ain't right. And all God's children said, amen. God bless you. And Father, thank you for this very first four verses of 1 John. It was spiritually loaded. And we got a long ways to go. (laughs) But I'm so excited about your word, I don't know what to do. Thank you for privileging me to preach, and I'm humble at the opportunity. Father, I pray somebody has just been alerted to the fact that they should be excited about the coming of the Lord, that they ought not love their cell phones and technology. Cell phone 5, 6, 10, 11, 12, iPads and Twitters and all this TikTok clock, and it ain't clock, but it's TikTok, and all this other stuff. All day, all night on stuff. Just busy. In this world system, and you're almost here, and the saints are not ready. Lord, wake us up to reality that you're coming back again, and help us get excited about your coming. Father, somebody's here right now. Should you come, they're not ready because they're not saved or they've been living like the devil, one foot in God's camp and another foot foot in the devil's camp. You telling them today, choose you this day whom you will serve. Father, save today in Jesus' name. Listen closely as Pastor Rander concludes this message by helping us to understand why many believers do not assemble in the house of God. Satan attacks us when we're most vulnerable, and he changes his strategy as our vulnerabilities change. In Jesus' name, we must be unyielding in exercising our God-given authority to rebuke every attack Satan instantly mounts against us. And Satan will flee because he and our God cannot occupy the same space. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas.